0: Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval well hello and welcome to virgin most powerful radio you are listening to the dr Luis sandoval show and as always it is a pleasure to be here to discuss our catholic faith to talk about things that are important to us especially in today's day and age got a great show for you today you know i've been talking to a few patients a few different people who really wonder do we have life after sin so to speak is there any way to recover from sin Is there really redemption or not? A lot of times there's a lot of doubt that we go through. A lot of times we wonder, you know, gosh, I've sinned so much. Can God possibly forgive me? Is this truly something I can overcome? And we're going to look at the fact that God always keeps his promises. God always wants us to go to heaven, and we should never be in doubt. So before we get started, let's go ahead and pray the Angelus like we normally do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy son, was made known by the message of an angel, may, by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> all right, folks. Big topic today. You know, really, really a big topic. I think it's, it's interesting as a physician, you know, we see different things. As a doctor, I see different things. Granted, when I was doing a lot more of the family medicine, um, it's easy to understand redemption from a medical point of view. We get sick and we heal right? Something happens. We're not doing well. We get an infection. We get a bacterial infection because there's bacteria all around us. um, And for some reason there was a a cut, a bruise, a break in the skin, and now we're vulnerable. Uh, There's a wound there and the bacteria can get in there. But as a physician, it's easy to see, hey, you know, let's take a look at what is this bacteria that's in there? What's this demon that's affecting this wound? Let's take a look at it and let's find the right medication for it. Let's get rid of it. And there is healing that takes place. a lot of the times, you know, it looks like there was never anything there. Other times there are uh, residual scars and bruises or whatnot that stay marked on us, but it's really a remembrance that we were once sick and we got better. A lot of times on the spiritual world, it's hard for us to accept that or hard for us to see that, and we wonder Am I ever going to get better? Is there redemption for me? You know why we think that way? Very individually, because we start to feel so bad for what we did. We see the gravity of our sins, and we think our sins are private, right? We imagine that. We sin. Nobody else knows. And it's a heavy burden to carry that, to think that, gosh, I've got to put on a show for other people uh, to act like I'm holy or to, to be accepted, because if they knew the sins that I did or if they knew what goes through my mind i can't see how they would ever accept me or even think that there's something you know good about me they might ask me never to come to church they might ask me never to come back we start thinking these things whether they're true or not is a different story right but this is what happens to our mind because when we send the first thing that's going to happen is our mind's going to get clouded we're not going to be thinking clearly Sin affects the body. It affects the spirit. It affects the body. It affects the mind. We have to remember that. But how do we get better? Well, I'll tell you what. Today's show, we're going to talk about a few things. First thing we're going to talk about is <clears throat> once we sin, what happens? What happens to us once we sin? I'm going to make this simple. God spoke, you know, Jesus spoke in parables. There was nothing academic about getting to heaven. And I really like that aspect of Christ. Even though, you know, obviously as a as a physician, you say, well, geez, you're an academic, Dr. Sandoval. You really enjoy studying and degrees and all that. Yeah, that part's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's fun to study. It's fun to learn. Um, and that's fascinating, right? To get into the, the depths of things. But it, we can easily allow that to feed an ego and make us think that all this external knowledge from books that we get um makes us so important. And we forget that actually the most important knowledge is the one we have inside the one we have in our conscience that tells me am i right with god or not and that's really what today's show is about it's about let's keep it simple let's see what happens when we sin and let's see what the story of salvation tells us from salvation history itself let's see what redemption tells us so in today's show here's the way i've organized it we're going to talk about three lies that occur three things that happen that tell us lies when we sin what our brain goes into the brain mentality um Once we sin, the brain's going to be warped, right? We're no longer having that direct connection with God. Uh, We we lose that sense of grace and that clarity of thought. And that's really what happens more than anything else to the mind. We lose clarity of thought so we don't start thinking clearly. And if we're not thinking clearly, guess what? We're going to keep sinning. We're going to keep doing bad things because we're not seeing how, well, gosh, if I've already sinned this much, what does it matter? Just keep going. Who cares at this point, right? So we're going to look at the three lies that can occur after we sin, We're going to look at the 12 steps of, you know, the original 12 steps are Alcoholics Anonymous, but really it's the 12 steps of addiction, of recovering from addiction. Anybody who's gone through any kind of an addiction, uh, whether it be alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamine, marijuana, sexual addictions, take your pick, they go back to the 12 steps. And if you've never read the 12 steps or you feel like, oh, the 12 steps are hokey or something along those lines, believe it or not, they are Christian-based steps. And more than anything else, when we look at them, we're going to see how the 12 steps to recovery from any addiction are really a thorough examination of conscience. That's all it is you know I, I like to read the 12 steps because it makes me think before confession, gosh am I have I done a good examination of conscience? Let me go read those 12 steps again because it's actually kind of a nice guide to to look at where am I at do I recognize what's going on? And am I on the road to recovery from sin? We got to remember, sin is like an addiction in and of itself, right? It's something we do over and over that we don't want to do, technically speaking. Now, if anybody says, oh, I'm very comfortable with sin, I'm all good with that. Hopefully you can listen to the show and, and realize that uh, we're got to head in the direction of God. But that's a different conversation. We're not going to talk about, uh, we're not going to focus on deliberate sin or anybody who's very comfortable with sin in the show. What we're going to talk about is, For the most part, if we sin, we don't feel good about it, but it can be hard to admit that. And we're going to look at, let's take these 12 steps. If if we're in, in the lies of sin, let's take these 12 steps to get us to three basic truths that we have to remember in order to understand our redemption, in order to live a life of redemption. So let's get into it. It's gonna be all biblical, and you know the 12 steps, I'm gonna take them from the 12 steps, but everything else, as far as the three lies that happened, you know, to the brain, the, the three things that we think about that are lies, uh, this is we're gonna be all biblical. And we're gonna go very, very basic. Um, why? Because redemption is basic, because Christ taught us in parables, which means that redemption is for everybody. We don't have to get very academic about it. We just have to get academic in the heart, academic for Christ, if you will. All right, so let's start. So the first lie, if you're gonna to go to the three lies, the very first lie is. We start to assume that we are bad. I did something bad. I'm bad. I am bad. We associate ourselves with evil. We as- associate ourselves with bad. Um, and we decide at that point that we have changed now for the bad. Okay? How do we know that? We're going to look at the very first sin because it's it's the most basic. Always, if you want to get uh, to know something, go to the origins. See where it started. See what happened. Let's look at Adam and Eve. Once they sinned. We're going to look at Genesis chapter three, right? Because that's the chapter of the fall of man. We know how it occurred. We know that the serpent came and tempted Eve and talked about the fruit of the tree that our Lord told her not to eat. But let's look at what happened once they sin. What, What can we anticipate to happen to us? Very first thing is we are going to feel ashamed. We're going to feel ashamed. The senses are dulled to Christ, but they're open to evil. Remember that it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil before they ate of this. All they knew was good. Unfortunately, now they know evil because they've betrayed our Lord. They've disobeyed our Lord. They have sinned, and now they know evil as well. I wish I never knew evil. When we get to heaven, we're no longer going to know evil. It's not going to be a part of us. It's not going to be something that we entertain. It's not going to be something that we have a relationship with. Unfortunately, when we sin, we open up ourselves to have a relationship with dark entities, with the evil side, with things along those lines. Technically speaking, by this sin, we should have been condemned forever. We should have been condemned forever. You know, it's kind of like today's cancel culture. You do something wrong, you do something that the majority of people don't like, and that's it, you're done. You're, you're no longer around. Well, same thing happened here to Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, chapter 7, the, then the eyes of both were open. Now, let's go back. What were they open to? Right? Because right after that it says, and they knew that they were naked. Now, what does that mean? They Did they not know they were naked before? You know, did, did they not have an awareness of that? Probably not. They did, Because there was no such thing as being naked versus clothed. It was just who you were. You didn't need to be uh, covered up. You didn't need to have anything to, to separate yourself from the rest of the world. But now the eyes open and now things look shameful. And now they're ashamed. And now they need to cover that shame. They didn't know shame before. Their eyes were open to evil. Sadly, their eyes were open to the wrong. So, what do they do? They sew fig leaves together and make themselves aprons. That's the first thing they got to do. They got to cover up now because now they're ashamed. They got to hide themselves from each other, right? Because now there's a shameful part. And what happens at that point of being shamed? We start to make excuses, right? We start to make excuses. Adam starts to blame Eve, Eve starts to blame the serpent. We're ashamed, we cannot take ownership of what we did. That's the first lie. The first lie is that we are bad. We're gonna fall into that trap. And because of that, we're gonna see a domino effect. I see that we're coming up on the break. So when we come back from the break, we're gonna finish the other couple lies and move on to what are the steps to get to the truth. More when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Birds of Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval show. Today we are talking about recovery after sin, which in the Catholic world would be redemption, right? But in our modern world, we need to think about recovery. Why recovery? Because that's how we talk about getting better, about healing in the medical world, right? You're going to recover. You're going to recover from a surgery, you're going to recover from a procedure. I think we need to start thinking of sin. As a spiritual illness that we need to recover from that we continually need to recover from because just like getting sick it happens over and over and we got to get to a point of health that's the first thing we need to think about so talking about three lies that can happen and the first lie that's going to happen that we're going to think about when we sin because we're not thinking clearly is we are going to start to think that we are bad that we feel shame um and we're going to feel shame so That's not a lie. That's the truth. We're going to feel shame. But because of the shame, we're going to feel that we are bad. We talked before the break about how once Adam and Eve's eyes were open to evil because they disobeyed our Lord, all of a sudden they found that they were naked and that wasn't good anymore. Now they felt ashamed about that they had to hide. Well, not only do we hide from each other because we realize "Mm, I've sinned, something's not good. I can't really get along with my fellow man. Now we also feel like We don't deserve to be loved by God. So now I'm hiding from each other. But then what did Adam and Eve do? They hid from each other and then they hide from God, right? So let's look at Genesis chapter three, verse eight. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Uh, Again, Genesis chapter three, verse eight, the chapter on the fall of man. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord uh, among the trees of the garden. There you go. We start hiding. We want to start hiding from God as well. We do not want to see ourselves in God's light. We can't see ourselves in God's light because we would run away. Now we have an imperfection about us and that imperfection makes us want to hide from God because the lie is we do not feel that we deserve to be loved by God. Okay. That's a lie. That's how we feel. But again, in mental health, obviously in, in medical health, I say we get sick and we, and we heal. In mental health, what I got to do is challenge people to have a healthy mind, challenge us from the lies that we experience in our head, whether it be that I believe that everybody's against me or whether I believe that you know I'm something that I'm not or something along those lines. We need to challenge that because we need to get to the truth. If I believe that everything I do is always wrong, well, we need to challenge that and say, well, did you ever do anything right? okay? So you find at least one thing right, then it's impossible that everything you do is wrong. However, that's what sin's going to make us do. We're going to feel ashamed. That was number one, right? Number two is once we feel that shame, we feel that we sinned against God and we no longer deserve to be loved by God. Technically speaking, sure, you know, we don't deserve to be loved by God, but we're going to see in the truths that God is the one who decides who he loves. It's not up to us to decide that. Part of the pain, in fact, that we feel is because we did betray our Lord. So first thing, the second thing we're going to experience is we feel we we don't have a deserving uh, a love. We don't deserve to be, we're not deserved to be loved by God. And as we see in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, once we hear the sound of the Lord calling, because God is always calling, we start to hide from him. Adam and Eve hid among the trees, right? Lastly, the third lie is now we feel shamed. Number two is we don't feel like we deserve to be loved by God. And number three now, because we don't feel deserved, that, we, that we deserve God's love, we can't be redeemed. All of a sudden, we can't be redeemed. It's over. We're going to go to hell. So what do we do? We get scared. If I, How do I start to, to think when I think I'm going to go to hell? I start to barter, actually, a little bit, or I start to kind of compare myself and say, well, you know, my sins, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I, that guy's for sure going to go to hell. I'm, maybe I won't. How do we see Adam and Eve do that? What do they do? They start to blame each other, right? So our Lord, let's go to Genesis chapter three, verse 12. If we go to verse 12, it says, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I ate. And so then the Lord turned to the serpent, who had obviously no excuse at this point, and he cursed the serpent. But look at what's happening, right? Number three is, well, I think I'm going to go to hell. I can't be redeemed. I better blame somebody else. I can't look at my own sins. I better blame somebody else. So, gosh, if I can't go to hell, maybe I can throw this person under the bus and maybe I'll be in the clear right? This is pretty sad because then we don't take ownership of what we did. And we see that from the beginning. So if we find ourselves doing that, it's not about shaming ourselves at this point. Remember, that's what we're going to feel. We're all going to feel shamed. Number two, we're not going to feel that we deserve God's love. And number three, because of that, and I think I'm not going to be redeemed. I think at this point, God doesn't love me. I'm going to go to hell. Gosh, maybe I'll throw somebody else under the bus and get into heaven that way. But it doesn't work that way. I have to take ownership of my own sins. Now, This is how it worked from the beginning. So this is this is why I like to go back to Genesis and see what happens when people sin. The very first sin that we see, Adam and Eve, is just the natural progression of that. It's not that, you know, I wouldn't say that they're bad or good. I'd say that the actions are bad. And we're going to see that when we talk about what are the truths uh, that really occur that we need to focus on. Once we sin, we need to shift our thought process to what is the truth and really, you know, sift out the lies that are going through our minds. But in order to do that now, at this point, we're ashamed we feel undeserving, and we feel condemned. That's really what happens when we sin. We're ashamed, we don't deserve God's love, is our our feeling, and we know that we're going to go to hell, we're condemned. How can we make up for that? How can we do that? Well, this is where I like to look at the examination of conscience, you know, when we examine our conscience, because we can easily stay in that shame, we can easily stay in that fear, And then never have hope that God's gonna save us. And we don't wanna get into a a state of despair in that sense. We really wanna keep our hope in God um, and have a level of faith that God is gonna save us. But how can we get there? What do we really need to do? The church always talks about examination of conscience, right? Before we prepare ourselves for anything, we need to really look at where we are. And when we examine our conscience, part of what we're doing, if we do it correctly, is not just acknowledging our sins, but acknowledging the truth. And part of acknowledging the truth is acknowledging who God truly is. Am I truly condemned to hell forever? Well, that's up to me, but I can't say that God's gonna condemn me. We're gonna see that in the truths, but let's look at how can we examine our conscience? How can we look at this and say, I've got an illness going on, I'm sick spiritually, I gotta get better, I need some medication, what doctor do I go to? Well, if I have a physical illness, I'm going to go to my primary care doctor or specialist or a surgeon or whoever he sends me to, depending on what's going on with my body at a physical level. If I have a mental illness, I'm going to go to a therapist or a psychiatrist and figure out, hey, let's see what they need. Let's see, uh, or let's see what they say. Let's see if I tell them how I'm feeling emotionally. Let's see how beat up they say that I am. That's a little vulnerable, but let's see what they say. And maybe they can help me out. Maybe they can help me Uh, know how to think a little bit give me a a few pointers on how to focus my thoughts well what if i'm sick spiritually if i have to do an examination of conscience how do i do that how do i go about that how do i start to heal i like these 12 steps i like these 12 steps uh, you know you're gonna you can find them easily anywhere on the internet i'll put a link here on the talk but you know they start there classically for alcoholics anonymous i think they were done very smartly uh, but you can use them for any sort of addiction right people do this for narcotics anonymous people do this for gamblers anonymous sexaholics anonymous whatever the the addiction is well why not take a look at them from the perspective of, i sin and it's kind of an addiction i keep sinning you know it's not like i i sin once and i say oh boy that was pretty bad i'll never do that again and then move forward we got to look at this from how can i heal spiritually from what appears to be an addiction. Let's look at the first one. Remember, these are Christian-based. A lot of people don't know that either, but these are definitely Christian-based. The very first step is, we admitted we were powerless over, and this one is gonna say alcohol. So I'm gonna read alcohol, but I'll say, I'll, I'll use the word sin instead of alcohol. We admitted we were powerless over sin and that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, I don't know that we're necessarily powerless over sin, but I like the idea that, gosh, I admitted that I can't overcome this sin that I'm struggling with it and it's made my life unmanageable can we get there can we stop and say that yeah you know what I don't have to tell anybody else about this but I'm gonna take a step back I'm gonna examine my conscience at night maybe at the, when the day's done which is what should we should be doing every day anyway as we go to bed we should be looking at our day and say how did I live my day-to-day Did I live it in a way that if I were to die right now I would be ready to meet my lord or that I would be ready to throw myself at the mercy of the lord well if I can start by just admitting that there's a sin that has become unmanageable in my life, I don't know how to take care of it by myself, that's pretty good. You know, let's start with that. Let's just start there. It's kind of a desperate place to be in if we can't move forward, but luckily there are 11 more steps we can look at that can help us take those steps towards the truth. Let's look at number two. So I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I like that. Now we can say, I came to believe that God is really who can restore me to sanity. A power greater than myself. I can't do it, me, out of my own volition. I don't have that level of power within me. I really like that. There has to be a power greater than me now. We have power to do certain things, right? God gave us the power to move, to if I want to move my hand, I can move it. It's kind of cool, actually, if you look at it from a neurological point of view, but I can volitionally will my hand to move and it will move. I can walk from one place to another. The reality is it's the breath of God that keeps me alive, but he lets me cooperate in that. When it comes to sin, I like this that it says that there is a power greater than myself. That can restore society a lot of times people will want to turn to things like witchcraft or potions or spells or something because they're looking for a higher power they're looking for a power from somewhere and one of the scary things is people believe that when they do these things it's coming from themselves that they have the power to do this that they mix certain herbs or have a certain formula but that's not the truth the truth is if we start dabbling in that we're looking at a power greater than ourselves to come in and we're inviting something well hopefully at this point we can say I'm going to invite the power of God, the power of Christ into my life to restore me to sanity. Notice these were the 12 steps for addiction. And if it says restore me to sanity, that tells me that I'm in a place of insanity. I don't like necessarily the idea of sanity, but I do because I don't want us to think that, well, that means I'm crazy, Dr. Sandoval, or something's off with me. No, what I like in terms of sanity and insanity is more like, am I thinking straight? And one of the things that we said is, once we sin, we're not thinking straight. We're not going to be thinking clearly. So I need to be restored back to thinking straight, to thinking the way God wants me to think. I really like that in step two. So number one, you know, I'm kind of powerless over the sin or my life has become unmanageable about it and it's not letting me think straight. So I got to turn to God to help me think straight. Let's look at number three. I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. Granted, in the Alcoholics Anonymous, it's made for everybody, so they're very respectful of people from different faith beliefs. But as Catholics, I got to say, I just turn over my life to God. Knowing who he is as a Catholic, knowing how he is revealed to himself in a trinity, I turn myself and my will over to God. Well, that's technically what we're supposed to be doing every day, right? If we look at the lives of saints, if we look at St. Uh, Paul, he says, it's no longer I, but Christ working through me. That tells me that Paul no longer was using his own will. It was the will of Christ. He allowed Christ to work in his life. And that's already point number three right there. Step number three, this is gonna be great if we keep going in this direction. One, I realized, gosh, I can't manage this sin. Two, I gotta turn to God to help me think clearly about this. And three, so far, you know, God is the one who's going to, uh, um, I'm gonna turn my will over to God because I'm gonna let him work. I'm gonna let his will work through me. Well, let's look at number four. It says, I'm going to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Well, what does that mean? That's the examination of conscience. I'm going to look at myself and ask myself, where have I gone right or wrong? Now, here's the danger of this one. If we don't have a moral compass, remember, it says, I'm going to make a fearless moral inventory of myself. If I'm going to do that. My question is, what's your moral compass? Because who's to say what's right or what's wrong? As, as Catholics, we need to go back to the Catechism, to the Bible, to the Ten Commandments. That's my moral compass. I got to look at that and ask myself internally, how have I been doing this? Have I been following this correctly as a Catholic or not? All right, we are on step number four. When we come back from the break, we're going to look at steps five through 12 to keep moving towards the truth and away from the lies that then will lead us into. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Mouse Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And today here in the clinic, we are talking about how do we recover? Now, remember, our show is about physical health, spiritual health, mental health. Today, we're talking about how do we recover from sin? But if we take it from a medical point of view, isn't that what we're doing all the time? All three elements of our makeup need recovery because we're not perfect. After the fall, we haven't been perfect. So today, we're examining What happens to us after the fall, after a fall, after a sin from the perspective of Adam and Eve? And how do we climb from the lies that the sin is going to tell us Back to the truth and the light of God. Before the break, we were talking about the 12 steps from Alcoholics Anonymous or any addiction type program because I think they're a great examination of conscience. There's a great, uh, they're actually great steps, shall we say, to take to move up that ladder. I like that there's 12 of them, like right? the 12 tribes, tribes of Israel representing the world, right? There's something special about that number. And for us, it's a way to get to that perfection. So that's why we're talking about three lies, 12 steps to three truths. All right. Well, before the break, we finish with step number four, which, may, which talked about searching a, uh, to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, meaning an examination of conscience. But remember, I said, we got to be careful about what is our moral compass? What is the ruler? Uh, what is the gold standard that we're going by? And in order to make that moral inventory to decide what did we do that was good or bad, we have to look at what's considered good or bad, and we got to look at it truly from the eyes of the Catholic faith. We want to go to our catechism, understand uh, our moral theology, and we want to go to the Bible, understand the basics of the 10 commandments. Everything's going to be in there. Am I following the life that Christ wants me to lead? That's really the truth right there. Now, number five, let's take step number five. This one's key and a lot of people might not like this, but um, it says number five is admitted to God, that we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Well, how is that not Catholic? Let's read that again. Step number five, admit to God and to, shall we say myself, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Now people have to do this in recovery. Don't we talk about going to confession all the time in our Catholic faith? We have to go to a priest. We have to go to another human being and actually bear ourselves embarrassingly as we have to spiritually, to another human being who happens to be a priest who happens to be given the authority of Christ to forgive our sins. Isn't that what we, I mean, this, that's beautiful. That's the, kind of the end game right there, but let's keep going on and see what's what, what else happens because the truth is a lot of times we think I just go to confession and it's lickety split. I'm done. I can go to confession. My sins are, are forgiven and I walk out, but there's work to be done. There's work to be done. Let's look at step number six. We, uh, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character so this is what i mean by there's work to be done you're saying well dr sandba what more work is there other than going to confession we have to make the right confession i like this stuff because one of them it's very easy to go tell another human being what i did that that sweet that's easy enough i just i just go tell them and that's it we have to be in a certain state of mind and we have to be in a certain condition of soul and number six tells us that we have to want to remove all these defects of character i have to want to no longer sin because i can go tell somebody now about what i've done but the question is am i am i showing off am i using this as glory stories or these war stories that i'm telling am i trying to impress somebody with what i did or am i doing it with the intention that i need to reform my life i need to change my character because remember we said in the beginning um what was it here uh just the very first one my life has become unmanageable because of this, which tells me this isn't good. Am I ready to admit that this isn't good? Step number six tells me I have to be ready to have God remove these defects of character. I want them gone, but I got to realize it doesn't come out of my own power. Remember, I'm powerless. I've already decided it's only God who can do this. This is why I go to confession. If, I, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have to go to confession, right? I, I'd just say, hey, I can take care of this myself. Nope. I got to be ready to have Christ remove this for me because I have to admit that only Christ can. I can't do this on my own. Let's look at step number seven. I have to humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. So so what's the difference between step six and seven? This is confession as we talk about it. The first one, I have to be ready to have God remove these defects of character, meaning I don't want this in my life. But then I have to humbly ask him to remove this. So I'm ready for these to be removed. I got to ask God to remove these. The question is, Are we already prepared to do that before we go to confession? A lot of times I think that we haven't sat there and truly repented of our sins and truly decided I don't want this in my life. Sometimes we think going to confession is the way that that's going to transform me. And there's no doubt about it. We get graces during confession, important graces that will help us do that. But the reality is by the time we get to confession, we should have already repented of our sins. We're going to confession because we have decided this isn't good and I want God to remove this from my life. All right. Let's look at step number eight. Make a list of all the persons we have harmed, and became, and became, and become willing to make amends to them all. Sorry, I'm kind of reading the past present tense here. I'm trying, as I'm trying to make this true to us in the moment. Uh, everything here is in the past tense, but in the moment, what we have to do is it's saying make a list of all the persons we have harmed, and we have to be willing to make amends to them all. This is pretty true, right? Don't we have to go apologize to people that we feel we've hurt? Don't we have to recognize that this is an important step because this is where we recognize we are the body of Christ. We recognize that because of my actions, I have hurt others. We can easily say, Well, I live on an island. I I don't hurt other people. It's just me, it's my sins, they're private. What does anybody else matter? But really, step number eight reminds me that I'm part of the communion of saints and my actions are going to affect those around me. And I got to be ready to make up for that. I got to be ready to apologize uh, for that. Step number nine says, takes it to the next step. Make direct am- direct amends to such people whenever possible, except if it would injure them or others. Meaning that if I can actually make these amends, if I can actually go apologize, I should. And I should make up for whatever it is that I did wrong. But if it's going to hurt somebody else, if it's going to cause too much pain because what I might have done or the relationship so broken that if we were to talk again, they were to see me again, it would just not be good for anybody. It would just cause more harm. I better take a step back. That's a hard place to be. You know, it's a it's a hard place to consider. But at the same time, you know, this is something that we need to gauge. Can I go directly apologize, or is this something where I already know I'm sorry about this? It's probably better to leave things at peace if I don't go and directly apologize. And how about, you know, maybe I'm going to wait for our Lord to actually clean things up for me, you know, when we get to the next life, maybe that's where we're going to have to make amends for this. All right. So that was step number nine, step number 10, three more to go, continue to take a personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted. So this is not where it is. This is where confession keeps going. And this is where really our Lord tells us, and as we know, we need to keep doing this ourselves. It's not over just because I made this one inventory. Every night, like I said, every night we should be doing an examination of conscience. Every day we should take that step back and say, did I do what was right? Did I do what I know to be right as taught by the truths of the Catholic Church? So I got to continue to take that personal inventory. And if I re- if I realize that when I'm doing that inventory, I'm wrong, I have sinned, can I admit it? It goes back to step number one, right? Where I feel like this, I'm going to be powerless over this and it's going to cause ca- chaos in my life. It's going to ruin my life. Am I ready to admit that every time I do an inventory? Hopefully, you know, hopefully we can continue to do that. That examination of conscience keeps us in a state of humility. It shouldn't put us in a state of, you know, uh, subjection where we're always feeling like we're bad, but a state of humility to the truth. So these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, and this is what I need to keep working on. Well, let's look at the next steps. Step number 11. It says, sought through prayer, I'm gonna read it the words right here. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, Praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's very powerful right there. Let's look at that again. Now, step number 11 says that through prayer and meditation, I want to improve my conscious contact with God. Isn't that what St. Paul tells us? Pray without ceasing. we got to keep praying in order to stay connected with God. There's no question about that. If we don't pray, where are we? So we keep praying. We stay connected with God. And here's an important part because sometimes we think, well, yeah, of course I pray. What are you praying for, right? What is is it that I pray for? How am I going to keep healing? Well, I'm going to stay in contact with God, but this says, I am only praying for the knowledge of his will and power, uh, of his will, and for me to have the power to carry out his will. That's it. I want nothing else. I completely surrender to God. Sounds pretty Catholic to me when we're praying. Remember the parable that Christ said uh, of the uh, uh the poor man in the back of the church and the the pharisee in the front Where the pharisee was making a big bombastic prayer talking about how good he was the poor man in the back was saying that it was a tax collector in the back and he was and by poor i don't mean poor he was a tax collector but poor spiritually He recognized that he wasn't doing well and he recognized humbly that he was not in a good place and he recognized i mean he was kind of taking these steps he was saying please have pity on me i am i'm a bad man And it is only through your will, really, that I can do anything. He humbled himself before God. Are we able to do that? I want only the knowledge of God's will. This is where we, when we look at deliverance, when we look at things of that nature, are we seeking knowledge elsewhere? That's the biggest sin. When people say, well, what's wrong with witchcraft? What's wrong with me reading my horoscope or the tarot cards or things of that nature? Because now I'm seeking knowledge outside of strictly following God. Is God's knowledge enough? Is what God wants to let me know enough? Or do I, out of curiosity, want to find out more? That's one of the problems. This step is really nice. I got to stay in continual prayer. I got to stay in contact with God. And once I stay in contact with God, I got to understand what am I doing? I am only asking for his knowledge and the power to carry out his will. You know, I'm asking for the knowledge of his will. What do you want me to do, Lord? Do I have the power to carry that out? That's an important step. Very important step. Let's look at the last step. Last up here says, having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Again, I wonder, I mean, I, I took this from the alcoholics Anonymous, but let's look at this from a Catholic perspective. Having a spiritual awakening. I like that spiritual awakening part because we're going to get into the three truths. We remember, we started with lies. Our intellect was dampened when we sinned. And now we have a spiritual awakening. What does that mean? That I start to see the truth again that spiritually I'm awake now. Before I was dead, I was asleep. Almost like that sleep, you know, every night we kind of go to, we kind of die a little bit when we go to sleep. So now I have an awakening, now I see the truth. And as a result of having taken these 11 steps, now what do I do? I carry this message to other people and practice this, these principles in my affair. I talk to other people about examination of conscience. I talk to other people about my experience. I might not tell them about my sins in particular, But now I say, gosh, I need to, what do I need to do? I need to share my knowledge of Christ. Isn't that what the church tells us to do anyway? We need to share our knowledge of Christ to each other. We need to spread the good news. We need to preach the gospel. That's really the last step. Can't tell me these last steps are not taken from a totally Christian if not Catholic perspective. These steps are the examination of conscience. I start to look at where am I at? Where am I at with God? Have I have sinned? Can I make amends for that on my own? No, I gotta let God help me out and do that for me. And I got to make amends to not again. Now, on the truths, when we come back from the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval show. And today we are talking about a very, very important topic. We're talking about recovery after sin. Why is this so important? I might think, like, yeah, recovery after sin. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a Catholic topic. It sounds like something we should be talking about, because the reality is, folks, this is this is all that there is. This is what we're doing every day. We're hopefully trying to recover after we have sinned in order to make it to heaven. This is the key to what really we want to pay attention to in our everyday lives. Now, we started off the show by talking about the three lies, three things that happen when we sin, what happens to the brain, what happens to the way we think, what happens to the way we approach God. We Continued on the show with the twelve steps. The twelve steps used by any recovery uh, program. We talked specifically about Alcoholics Anonymous, but <clears throat> uh, we talked. We kind of applied those steps to us in terms of our examination of conscience, our sense of mission, and our sense of really following God's will and not our own. Why? Because that's going to lead us to really looking at things from the perspective of truth. When we sin. Everything becomes a lie. We can't see things clearly. Well, let's look back at that story of Adam and Eve, and let's look at how the converse can be true. Remember, once we sin, our, int- our intellect is dulled. The devil's going to get in there, and he's going to make us see things from his perspective, which are all lies. But we got to look at the converse. It's always The lie is always going to be a converse to a very particular truth. So the first lie that we said we had was that we start to feel that we are bad and we feel shame. Now it's true. We do feel shame. There's no lie in that, but that shame makes us feel that we are bad. And what's the truth? We look back at the story of creation. We read from Genesis chapter three, verse seven, to see that when Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made, it, made themselves aprons. Remember, they hid themselves from each other and they also hid themselves from God, right? They heard God in the garden and <clears throat> when you talk to Adam, this is what he said. So let's go back to the lie real quick so we can understand the truth, right? And the lie, he says, this is chapter 3, verse 8 of Genesis, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But do we ever think about the but part? There's a but there. It doesn't say and. It says but, which means what? It means that something opposite just happened, right? Whenever we use that that word, it means something opposite just happened. It doesn't say and. It says, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? So what is the truth? We think that we're bad. We think that our you know we think that we don't deserve love. We think that we're going to hide ourselves. We want to hide ourselves from God. We think that God is not going to um, be there for us. But in verse nine, God says, "Where are you? The truth is, even though I'm hiding myself, I choose to hide myself from God after the sin. God is still looking for us. That's the truth. That's what we got to remind ourselves in that moment. I want to go hide. I want to run away. But the truth is, God is looking for me. God can't possibly love me. I've sinned. You know, I feel really bad. I am bad. That's the lie. God would not seek out something that is bad, it's against his nature. God would not, if somebody truly wants to go and and be bad, God's not going to chase after them. That would go against God's nature. What God is showing us here by saying, Adam, where are you? You think God doesn't know what just happened? God knows exactly what just happened. But he's saying, where are you? I'm still looking for you. You are not bad. Maybe what you did was wrong. Maybe your actions are bad. What do we say, right? Hate the sin, love the sinner, right? The action was not good and the action has consequences. But you still have dignity. Why? Because God is going to restore our dignity and we're going to see that. So the first truth is that we are not bad and God is still looking for us. The second one, what was the second lie? We don't deserve to be loved by God. What's the opposite of that? It's not necessarily that we do deserve to be loved by God. It's that God decides who he loves or not. And God has made a decision to love us. And therefore, we deserve to be loved by God. We cannot say God is a liar. You know, if I say, I don't deserve to be loved by God. Well, who am I to say that? I am not the mind of God. I am not God. I don't decide what God should do. I am telling God what his will is if I think that way. Remember? And part of the steps are I'm going to try to get to know God's will, not my will. My will, my mind, after I sin, tells me I don't deserve to be loved by God. The reality is God deserves who he loves or not because he is God and he can make that choice. I can't take that choice away from him. I can't tell him what to do or not do. It's God in his will. And I think that that's actually part of the pain. The pain is that we, some level realize god will always love us and it hurts me to know that he will love me regardless of what i did how do we know that god still loves adam and eve let's look just at the story let's go to uh chapter 3 verse 21 In verse 21 what happened in verse 21 it says and the lord god made for adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them what happened in that chapter remember before that when they thought they didn't deserve love and they were ashamed they hid and they made themselves garments of fig leaves what does god do god actually restores your dignity even better he says let me get you better clothes what a lot of people don't realize though is if he made them garments of clothing he made them gar- garments of skin which means of animal there had to have been an animal death a sacrifice Why? Because God is saying, okay, we must offer sacrifice now for what you've done, and let me clothe you from that sacrifice. It's akin to saying that because we have sinned, we're going to see this in the next part. Actually, let's say that for the next part. So, God clothed them. We see that God still loves them. We can't say that God doesn't love us. We can't tell God what to do or not do. We can't tell God what to think or not think. And we can't tell God that He doesn't love us or that He does love us. He tells us. And what He tells us is He will never stop loving us. We see this. In the midst of sin, we forget to see the goodness of God. God clothed them and restored their dignity. He hid their shame, if you will. We have to put our humility and trust in God first. Now, what's the last thing that happened, I said? The last lie is that we can never be redeemed. Well, let's go back to that sin, that, that scene of sin, and let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In verse 15, what does God say? He's talking to the snake now. He's talking to the snake and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we all know what this is, but do we understand that this is actually the first gospel, what we call the proto-evangelium, the very first time that we understand that we will be saved. In the midst of our fall, God is telling the serpent, there will be redemption here. will be a lady who will be perfect and from her seed you will fall that's all there is to it and what's the whole purpose of this is to redeem us remember the lie is we will never be redeemed it's over that's when we start blaming everybody else that's when we start throwing somebody else under the bus to hopefully look good to hopefully make myself look good oh boy that's it i stepped in it i can't be redeemed it's all over i i don't know how this is gonna go i better blame it on somebody else right but that's not what God says. God, in fact, is saying, I'm not blaming it on anybody. I'm taking away any blame, and I'm going to come down. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to redeem you wholeheartedly. That's the promise of the Savior. So if the lie is that we can't be redeemed, the truth is there is the promise of a Savior. I'm going to send you a perfect Savior from a perfect mother. This is, this is it, folks. This is the big thing. This is what we need to think about when we sin, because our natural inclination is going to be to run, to hide, to think that we are bad, to think we don't deserve God's love, and to think we can never be redeemed. That's the lie. That's what the, the sin is going to cause us to think. It's going to dull our intellect and our senses. And when we start thinking that way, we somehow have to break away from that. we got to go back to our examination of conscience. I recommend the 12 steps. Read the 12 steps. Understand and see if this is what i got to do to get back in my mind. As I say in step number 12, a spiritual awakening, which all that tells me is, hmm, let me look at what the truth is here. I'm pretty feeling pretty bad. Let me look at my Bible. Let me take out my Bible here and look at, gosh, what is the truth, though? Because I got to find the truth interwoven among a bunch of lies. That's what happens when we sin. We're in full lies. We have lies in our head. I got to find the truth. I somehow got to weave through that to get to the truth. And the truth at the end of the day is we have sinned. How do we recover? We make amends. We decide, where's my moral compass? How am I going to live my life? I have to make this better. I have to get to confession. I have to make it for my sin. I got to recognize that I did sin, because a lot of times we're very good at saying, eh, it wasn't that bad. Couldn't have been that bad. And we go back to thinking, hey, that other person's worse. I'll throw them under the bus. But the truth is, when we get to our day of judgment, there's not going to be anybody else to point a finger at. God's going to say, why did you do that? I could try to point a finger, but God's going to say, you did it. Are you ready to accept the fact that you were weak in that moment? that you didn't turn to me to help you? Are you willing to turn to me now? That's really all he's asking. That's what we got to do. Easier said than done. Easy to say, hard to do. Because when we are feeling that shame, we don't want to be in that light. We don't want to be in that light of God's grace because we're going to see how ugly that shame is. It's not going to be fun. But this is where we got to help our mind, to help our spirit, to help the soul, to heal. We need to look at the truth. Let's look at those truths again. We are not bad. Our actions might be bad, but we are not bad. We have the dignity of God. How do we know that? Because God is going to be asking, where are you? That's where I really want to start my examination of conscience. I want to say, well, God's asking me where I'm at. What am I going to tell him? Where am I at? I better ask myself that. That's the first point. The second point is, God's going to want to restore me to dignity. God's going to see this. And even in the midst of me feeling ashamed, God's going to give me even something better than I have. Adam and Eve had fig leaves. How good could those have been a covering? Right, that's going to die eventually. God says, "No, you need better clothes than that. You need something better to restore your dignity. Let's let's kill something. Let's get an animal here. Let's get the the skin of the animal. Let's make you some proper clothing. Let's properly bring you back to dignity. Are you willing to accept that? Am I willing to accept the clothes, the skins that God's going to make for me to hopefully make up for my sins when I once I admit my sins? And lastly, am I willing to recognize that there is the promise of a Savior?" Am I willing to recognize that it's not up to me to redeem myself? Remember, when we're looking at those steps, we're saying, it's not my power. I can't do it for my own power. I have to recognize that it is Christ himself who redeems me. Nobody else. It's strictly the power of Christ working in my life. But am I willing to open up myself to that? Am I willing to recognize my sins and say, I don't want that in my life. I got to get to confession because I can't get rid of them on my own. I need to get to confession. I need for Christ to forgive my sins so that I can continue to move. And guess what? I'm gonna need him to continue to do that over and over, depending on how often or how sick I am with sin. Is there shame in that? We're gonna feel shame, but I think there's gonna be the promise of redemption. We need to think of that promise of redemption when we're thinking about um, rising above our sins and recovering really from sin. You know, we all get sick. We We all have illnesses. There's no question about that. Are we willing to take the medication? I think it's so beautiful. And it's such a message of hope that the medication of Christ himself. How do we know that? Because remember before I said, God gave him those skins. He made that sacrifice and said, let me restore your dignity with these clothing to hide your nakedness. Well, he takes it a step further with Christ. And he says, there's this ultimate sacrifice. We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. Remember in the Old Testament, they kept sacrificing animals to our Lord. saying, so we don't need to sacrifice animal. I'm gonna send my son he's going to be the sacrifice. When you consume the body and the blood of my son in Holy Communion, I will now clothe you with light. You will not need clothing anymore. You will be full of light. You will be clothed in light, and you will never be in the darkness of sin again. That's a beautiful story of redemption. Until next time, until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.